Welcome to the Wedding Guest Extraordinaire podcast with me, Sarah Southern. Join me each week as I talk everything weddings, taking you from engagement to honeymoon, making sure that you really do enjoy planning your big day. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Wedding Guest Extraordinaire podcast with me, Sarah Southern. Slight difference this week in that it's a groom special. I know that obviously organising a wedding is for two people and we have spoken to some men on the podcast before, but I have predominantly been interviewing brides. So I thought it was time to get one of my friends on who has been a groom and find out about his experience of his proposal and his wedding planning and how the first year of marriage has been. So I invited my friend Pete along to uh, talk about his wedding. So let's dive on in and hear how Pete enjoyed planning his wedding. Hi Pete, how are you? Very well, thanks. How are you doing? Very good. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for coming over and thank you for being the first guest who's actually bought a bottle of wine with them. (laughs) Very much appreciated. (laughs) Uh, Now, I've been wanting to get you on for a little while onto the podcast because most of the people that I've interviewed to date have kind of spoken from the bride's experience and we haven't really heard much from the groom's experience and I thought that you would be a good addition (laughs) (laughs) to to bring some thoughts on the groom's experience of a wedding. I see. I was a bit of a bridezilla, so I might not be the best person from a purely groom perspective but we'll give it a go but that's good so you've been married to hannah now for a year one year and four days wow so you just had your wedding anniversary just gone we did yeah yeah well congratulations we went to peter express for a two-for-one deal it's very nice well isn't the um anniversary for one year paper yeah so it's so a paper voucher yeah yeah exactly, yeah, no, exactly. I, like I know how to look after <laughs> so how long had you and hannah been dating when you got engaged uh it depends who you ask uh, what's your version yeah. <laughs> what's your version shorter than hers no about five years so quite a long quite while. a long time yeah yeah there was a lot of pressure what pressure to get engaged yeah or? yeah it started off subtle and then just became more and more overt as the years went on um i think after five years you really should be getting engaged there's yeah. two there's only two routes well exactly with marriage hindsight, or ooh. with hindsight maybe i should have done it sooner but we were saving for a house so that was my excuse yeah i guess it is difficult when You've got all of these other pressures, like buying a house or moving forward with your career, maybe doing extra study or whatever, to then throw a whole lot of money at an engagement ring and a wedding. Yeah, I didn't trust her to not blow the house-saving budget on a wedding, so I thought (laughs) I'd wait and buy the house beforehand. Very practical. That's the money man in you there. Exactly. So once you'd made the decision that you were going to propose and, you know, you felt that she was probably going to say yes, how did you go about the proposal? Well, the proposal was quite weather-related. Uh, involved an owl. An uh, owl? Yeah, several owls, actually. And I, as I learned, owls can't fly when it's too windy. So I had to write, wait for the right atmospheric conditions before I could propose. Um, so I decided I wanted to do it. I got the ring. I had a couple of friends who helped me out, uh, teach me about diamonds and the three Cs. Clarity and something. Anyway, I learned all about that, uh, and then I decided. I'm desperate to know what the three C's are now. Cut, clarity, clear. and maybe carrot. I don't know. Hmm. I might Google that later. Yeah. Anyway, so I had some female assistant about diamonds and jewellery, uh, and I had the ring. And the ring that was if anything it was the easiest part. 
Uh, and I decided I wanted to propose through the medium of uh, Birds of Prey, of an owl, um, which is a little bit partridge, but she thinks I look a little bit like an owl, which is hard <laughs> to convey on a podcast on the radio, but um, some people see it, most people don't, but it's whatever, you know, it's her thing. She sees animals and people. Uh, so I thought it'd be fun to do this. Uh, of course, most people now think I have a weird obsession with owls, uh, which I really don't. Um, so I was researching to find uh, a falconry centre or an owl centre near her parents' home in Suffolk. So I wanted to do it in Suffolk so she'd go and see her parents afterwards and things. And there was one really near her house. I thought this is perfect. About five miles from her house. So I rang them up and told them my excited plan. And they said, oh, we don't do that. It's, not, it's more hassle than it's worth. Um, <laughs> we don't believe in love. Well, exactly. exactly. Please don't yeah. visit. Um, the owls aren't insured to carry rings or something was their excuse. So I, I searched around. I found another one about an hour away. So I rang him up. He was a bit more on board. Uh, uh, and we had it all booked in. And Suffolk's quite a long way from London. I don't, you know, I love my in-laws, obviously, but you don't want to go back too much. And I found the excuse to come back. And I thought it was weird that I was quite keen to go and visit them. I had the owl thing booked in. I had to tell her we were going to an owl thing. I uh, didn't obviously explain why. She didn't know why I was driving to an owl sanctuary with her. Um <laughs> But anyway, so it was all set, the weekend was there, and anyone who's got engaged, or anyone who's about to propose, knows that you have this ring and you hold on to it for two weeks or three weeks beforehand. And every day you come back from work, you open the sock drawer and you check it's still there. And on the weekend you go away to propose, you have it in your pocket the whole time, and then you can't, you're tapping your pocket every three seconds, and every hour you're going up to check it's still in your room. And so it's, you're quite aware that you've got this, the most expensive, smallest thing you've ever owned in your pocket, uh, coupled with the actual nerves itself of proposing. So in the morning, I woke up 5am, wide awake, ready for, for the, the day, and uh, I got an email from Steve at Lavenham Falconry saying, I'm afraid it's too windy, Gadget and Gizmo, the two owls, can't fly. So I was just like, oh, crap. So I emailed back and said, are you sure, you know, the forecast, the wind's going to wheeze? And he said, no, 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 it was the remnants of hurricane something, or they were sweeping through. Uh, so he said, they can't fly, it's too dangerous, we're going to have to rearrange. Which was bad enough in itself, but then, of course, I had to reinvent a whole new reason to come back to Suffolk in a few weeks' time, uh, rebook in, tell her we should go back to the owl place. Of course, she was saying, oh, why don't you just get a refund? I was like, oh, no, I've already paid, I can't anyway. So we, a lot of faffing, a lot of added stress. We got back to Suffolk a month later. Weather forecast was good, only light winds, um, and we finally made it to the, uh, the Falconry place. Uh, and this was about April time, May time, actually, so it wasn't quite like the May we've had this year but it was bitterly cold. There was hailstorms swirling. The wind was pretty high, and he, he tried to cancel again, and I put my foot down and said, I've already cancelled once. It's got to happen. So we then spent the next two hours in a freezing field, getting battered by hailstones, uh, her getting more and more fed up as her enthusiasm for owls declined. Um, <laughs> uh, and they, the guys were obviously very proud of his owls, even though he knew that I only really cared about this one moment. So we got a flying display of every single owl, like the Siberian pink owl, the, the little owl, the tawny owl, the, all more owls than you could possibly imagine. Until finally, three hours later, the uh, gizmo, you know, Gadget, I think his name was, who was trained to carry rings, was brought out. Uh, and he flew over to Hannah with the ring attached, and she saw it, and it was all wonderful. Um, and we went back and saw the parents, and it was, it was great. Um, but it was a lot of stress to get to the point of actually getting engaged. That is commitment. <laughs> that is commitment and a half. Like, wowzers. Once you have an idea in your head, though, I couldn't tell her then, like, 
I was going to do it with an owl, but I did it on the beach instead. It doesn't quite have the same effect. And also, what difference was three weeks going to make? You know? Well, exactly. Other than having to check the ring every day in my sock drawer when I got home from work. But. So what's that stress like? I mean, I know you've, you've talked a little bit about it there, but like, had you told anybody else? Were you able to say to someone, this is killing me? Or did you want to save it so only you and Hannah knew? Uh, I, the, the two female friends who helped me with the rings knew. Uh, but outside of that, no one did. I didn't trust my family and I didn't trust her parents or her dad. Like I, I had to ring up. I, didn't, I wanted to tell her dad beforehand or ask her dad's permission. Obviously, these days you just tell them. You don't actually ask, but I thought it would be like, traditional to do that. But I didn't trust him to keep a secret. So I rang him up the morning of the owl visit. Uh, he's a driving instructor, so he, he was out on a job. And he told me he wasn't leaving until 9, so I got up at 8. And I was going to speak to him before he went off. I got up, he'd already left. So I rang him up. He didn't answer because he was in a driving lesson. Mm. So uh, he then, he, he didn't answer, so I hung up. And then I was like, composed, you know, everyone hates leaving a voicemail. I composed a voicemail in my head. Uh, and I was about to say it when I rang and he answered. And I was like, oh, crap. He's like, what do you want? And he obviously thought it was an emergency because I'd rang twice. Why would I ring him at work? So then I had to sort of say, uh, 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 you know, I think I'm going to propose, but I'd like your permission, blah, blah. And he was like, yeah, fine, and then hung up. <laughs> uh, ever the professional, he didn't want to uh, waste his his pupil's time uh, on something so trivial as that. So, He's probably also thinking, why didn't you ask me at dinner last night? Well, exactly, exactly. But I, I couldn't trust him. He doesn't keep secrets from his wife. I don't, I don't like this asking of permission or even telling anyone beforehand. I mean, I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but if I do get engaged, if anyone dares remove that moment of joy of me telling my own parents that I'm getting engaged, I'd be so cross. I... I think it, I don't know. People love tradition and people love rules, and I just felt it was. It obviously wasn't me asking; it was me telling him. Yeah. But I felt it was a nice thing to do. Did he then tell his wife? Well, no, because he was working. So you so got home there. before he got. So, home. And also, we were going to meet her mum and her brother and her brother's uh, partner for lunch after the owl trip. Um, and I knew they'd all there, and he'd feel a bit missed out if he then come home. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. So it also worked out quite nice that he already knew when they all rang him up to tell him. So. In the end, it worked out all right, but I do agree with you that it's a bit the last century to to ask permission. But also, like, my view is they're my parents. Like, I want to tell them that news. Although my cousin, uh, her husband, rang up her parents and said, oh, I'm going to be proposing, I just want to, you know. I thought he might have even gone over and had coffee with them or whatever. And then they knew for months, like months and months. yeah. That's weird. And they, every time the phone rang, they'd be like, right, it's going to be this call where she yeah. tells us. And they'd be like, hello. And she'd be like, oh, have you had a nice day? And they'd be like, oh, no, not this time. So yeah. every time they went like on a weekend away or did anything vaguely interesting, they'd be like, it's going to be now. Yeah. And it never was. So Yeah, the trips to Paris and things. That no, just trips to Paris and nothing more. Literally just a desire to see the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Nothing more, nothing <laughs> more. But no, well, that's really, really lovely. So you've got engaged. Yeah. The ring is on the finger. She has said yes. Yeah. Planning. How yeah. do we then get into full-on wedding planning mode? So... I'm an accountant. I'm risk-averse by nature. <laughs> I like to plan and I like spreadsheets. Oh, perfect. Hannah's the opposite of all of those. So it's pretty early, obvious early on who was going to be doing the legwork here. Um, so she was quite happy to be like, yeah, we got engaged. It's May. Let's get married next summer. I was the practical m- man of the situation of being like, well, we need to start booking venues because they sell out like a year in advance. So 
that was the first step was you know it was going to be Suffolk that's where she's from uh, and it's actually ironically where I was I was sort of born and, and raised for the first couple of years of my life um, so then it was a case of scoping out venues uh, tri- taking a trip back obviously there's anyone who's got married lives in London gets married away from London it's like quite a lot of hassle to arrange a weekend away and book all these appointments in but the first weekend was to find a venue and we did that and after that it kind of was a little bit more straightforward and anyone I think who's got married will know that the big expensive things are the ones that are sorted out the quickest I found so like the venue the caterers all the big chunky items you, you pick someone or you have a shortlist of three and then you choose one and then it's done the stuff that takes the time is that, oh, making bunting, or let's do this, or let's do this, creative bits and pieces. They're the things that are done in the run-up to the wedding when you're more stressed. The big, the big expensive items are actually normally done way before and are actually quite easy to do. Yeah, I think when you are planning your wedding, I mean, I was, I was talking to someone the other day who's in the first fling of planning their wedding, and they were asking my advice on what they should be doing. And I was like, the first thing you need to do is find out when and where you can actually get married. Like, yeah. if it's your parents' 50th wedding anniversary, yeah. work out when they're celebrating that. Or if your yeah. sister's pregnant, work out when that baby's going to be born. Yeah. Avoid that time. Like, find a time that works for everybody and fits your life. And then work out your location and then start looking at your venues according to what you can afford. Yeah, no, absolutely. My dad does a lot of rifle shooting. It's a hobby. So he's out of action from end of May through to August. So that helped remove that section of dates from our planning so when it came to it we had a choice of two weekends with the venues we liked and what worked with him so uh, it was quite easy to again it was an easy decision to make so and in terms of putting together like your team who did you have as like how many ushers did you have I had uh, I had a best man and two ushers I I don't know (laughs) that's why I'm asking (laughs) you've got me panicked now I'll forget someone uh Rob and Rob and uh, Elliot. Yeah. And what outfits did you have them in? Uh, we went for morning suits. Very nice. Uh, mostly because a couple of us already had one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was easy. Um, and it's nice to make it a bit more special rather than just wearing suits. I find you go to a... Not that I've got any, against anyone who has a wedding with suits, but when you have a suit, it's like, well, I just wear the same clothes I wore Monday to Friday in the office and iron, iron an extra shirt on the Sunday. Um, Well, listeners will remember from Patrick Grant's episode where we talked all about groom's fashion and our kind of biggest bugbear was don't waste money hiring a suit or, you know, a knockoff Mm. version of a morning suit from Moss Bros when you can actually go and buy a special suit if that fits with your price range for your wedding. But if you do own a morning suit, wear that. Yeah, I went. I was invited to a wedding uh, about five years ago when I, it was a you-need-a-morning-suit wedding, which is quite rare these days. Um, but I was told I needed a morning suit. And again, I did exactly that. I looked at Moss Bros, I looked at all the places, and I looked uh, at M&S, I think, and it was £20 more to buy than it was to hire. That's crazy. So I... Well, I actually, I think the £20 more didn't include the waistcoat. But anyway, it was not much more to buy than hire. Uh, and then I thought if I buy it, then it encouraged me to wear it at more weddings. And so that, so I got my... I like to think I got my money's worth out of it. And when you were planning your wedding, did, like, did you enjoy it? I mean, I know that you are a spreadsheets kind of guy. So did you enjoy kind of saying to Hannah, no, I'm sorry, we can't do that because it doesn't fit in with the budget? Uh... In her defence, she's not that extravagant, so she wasn't coming out without outlandish ideas like let's have a flock of owls or anything. <laughs> um, 
so that that didn't really come up as an issue. But yeah, I, I absolutely enjoyed the, the spreadsheet and the ticking things off and lists and planning and dates and red light, red, uh, red orange and green and things. It's obviously both you and I were in Elliot's wedding team, yeah. which listeners will remember from episode two. And I was living at Elliot's flat at the time in the run-up to that wedding. And I would often hear conversations between him and Tom of, like, yeah. their ideas for things. <laughs> and I would put in, I'd be like, that is a terrible idea. It's <laughs> going to cost you loads of money. Stop, 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 stop. Yeah. So did, did you have that stage where you were like, we can't do, like, we can't spend £5,000 on this nonsense. Like, we've got to rein it in. Um, there are a few items. I mean, everything's a, a compromise, right? Unless you are completely loaded when you can have whatever you like. Uh, we wanted like string quartets and a live band and things, but we also wanted to have an extra 20 people at the wedding. And whilst we we had an upper limit and budget in mind, we we could have maybe gone beyond it, but we didn't really want to. Um, so it was a case of what would you rather have uh, a string quartet or an extra 20 friends or whatever it was. And so we so we cut things like the, the quartet and had the friends instead. Um, and it would be nice if you go to weddings and they're very nice because they have them and the, you're on the lawn and you hear in the background, but actually everyone stood on the lawn and drank and had a fun, fun time anyway. So I don't think um, anyone would have stood there and gone, do you know what would have made this yeah, better? Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. That's the conclusion we came to. So on the wedding day, yeah, because my favourite bit of a wedding ceremony, which is why I get to weddings early, is choosing my seat so that I can see the bride just about to walk in, yeah. but also get a good view of the groom just as he's about to turn around yeah. and see the bride for the first time. So you're standing up at the front of the church. Mm-hmm. You can, everyone's stood up. Mm-hmm. The vicar's basically said to you, it's just here, it's mm-hmm. go time. Yeah. How do you feel in that moment? It's funny, uh, my best man, Rob, was, I was his best man a few years ago, and he's a... Uh, He's a, he's a very cocky man. He's a, he's a journalist for the Sun, which probably says what you need to know. Um, and he's always got an answer for everything. He's got the gift of the gab. He's always, he's always got a comeback. Uh, and that's the only time I've ever seen him completely like lose it was the moment before his wife, now wife, came down the aisle. And his legs physically buckled. And I thought, thought it was hilarious because I've never seen him lost words. I've never seen him lose his shit at all. Um, but when the roles were reversed five years later or how many years later, and I was stood there... And in the lead-up, I was quite calm. I was quite enjoying it. I got to the church earlier. Rather than stand at the front on my own, I was out the front, uh, the entrance, greeting everyone as they all came in. Really sociable, seeing all my friends. It was great fun. Completely quite, you know, relaxed, actually. Uh, but that, that moment when all the crowd have hushed and music starts, uh, and my, my legs went as well. Like, you just, you do just completely lose it for a couple of seconds. Um, and I don't know why it is. I think it's just the obviously the the enormity of about to getting married, but also I think the the cultural and social connotation around that of this is that moment you see in every film that you've already been to, like me, dozens of weddings beforehand, and it's like yeah, this is it. This is the the, the no turning back moment. Um, and then when you turn round and you see yeah. Hannah walk into the church and you see it, it her in her dress, which you won't yeah. have seen before, yeah. and she's looking beautiful. Yeah. How do you then... Because like, even just talking about it makes me feel emotional. So like, how do you feel in that moment? It's quite an incredible feeling. Uh, she, she was actually a bawling wreck. Oh, bless. Uh, bless her. So um, I was a bit more concerned about that. Why is she crying so much? Um, but no, yeah, it is. It, it's quite, a, it's quite an, a, an amazing experience, that, that, that absolute moment. Um, and then she walked up to the aisle and you have a little chat, a little joke, uh, and you kind of regroup. 
and then it becomes a bit more normal. Then the, the organ starts and the hymn goes, and you sing a hymn, and then it kind of settles you Shake down. Shake it out in that exactly, time. exactly. Because I thought that was really interesting at the royal wedding last month, where you could see Prince Harry looked as though he'd had no sleep the night before, and he looked yeah. as though he was holding back the tears like crazy. Yeah. And yeah. kind of like when he when Meghan Markle walked up, allegedly the lip readers say that he said, "Oh, you know, I've missed you," and yeah. you know, you look so beautiful. And like part of you thinks, oh god, this is awful watching these two people have this incredibly private moment yeah. on telly. But at the same time, I'm so you're, obsessed you're, with seeing you it. Can't not, you can't not look away, yeah. Because yeah. it's so intense, and I I feel on the verge of tears when I'm in a wedding because you are just witnessing this like such an intense feeling of emotion yeah. and yeah, and absolutely, you're you're especially if you've been engaged for five years, you're you're marrying the person you love, and it's quite an amazing moment. But on top of that. Well, in my case, I went had too too many beers the night before, got to bed a bit later than Naughty. I planned. And I was awake at quarter to five, uh, just because you wake up and you're like, shit, it's my wedding day. And then the uh, you sort of manage to batten down that thought in your head about, oh my God, it's them getting married. But then another worry about practical sides of the wedding springs up, like, oh, what if this happens or have we planned this? And so you spend the whole, I spent like two and a half hours between about quarter to five and seven-ish just worrying about, the practical side of how we remembered everything and then oh my god this is my wedding I'm terrified and those you kind of yo-yo for a bit until about 7 o'clock when I just gave up and got up and had a cup of tea so you're knackered before you get to the church and then as I, I spoke to another friend and they say you just live off adrenaline on the day but I think that adds the emotional aspect of it all that you're very tired uh, and emotional uh, and teary I think as well how wonderful. So after you've left the church, what, what was the reception like after that? Uh, the reception was great. We, we picked a, a church next to a reception place. So it's a, a country house in Suffolk, um, which had a church just outside the, the grounds of the house. So it meant that everyone could, we could walk out the church, do the confetti thing, and then we could all walk en masse through a couple of fields into the, into the house or into the grounds of the house. So that was really nice not to have everyone get on a coach and drive somewhere. Uh, so yeah, we all walked down um, to this this house, the, the lawn, uh, without a string quartet, but with lots of pims and booze, uh, and everyone muttering, saying, "There's no yeah, string yeah. quartet," you know. Well, it's really quiet. Dreadful. We're really, we're really missing some nice music. Oh, yeah. I'll be putting a bad review on TripAdvisor for ex- this ex- one. Ex- yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I no, think this great. is what's really interesting, though, because obviously this podcast is about the guest experience and. You know, hearing someone say, "We had to make a decision between whether we're going to have the string quartet or more friends there." Nobody ever cares about the string quartet. And it's, it's, it, I think this is where, unfortunately, a lot of people end up wasting a lot of money at their wedding. Yes, if money was no issue whatsoever, yeah. it would be wonderful to have all those moments all the time. And it is nice when mm. it's there, but I'm certainly not missing a string quartet when it's not there. Yeah, and we had that exact conversation about whether to have a live band or not. And you'd, you'd love to have a live band because they connect with the audience more and it's just much more fun uh, but it's however many thousand pounds extra um, and often they do the nine till eleven and then they pack up and then they have a DJ for the hour, last hour anyway so you think actually we could just save that money right there and just have a DJ playing good songs and someone of my generation of your generation mm. it's just let's just play Brit rock stuff from the, yeah. the 90s and that's what everyone really wants um, so I think those sorts of things can seem important and I think we were quite sensible in that we said actually no we'd rather 
have nicer food, have more free booze for guests rather than have the live band or, or the, the quartet. Now, did you get really drunk on your wedding day? Because I think a little bird, who we shall name Elliot, told me that it was the drunkest he'd ever seen you. That's a lie. Is it? He's seen me more drunk. I was at, I was consciously keeping myself sober through, obviously, the marriage service itself in the church, um, through the meal, the speeches, uh, and for a couple of hours afterwards. And I actually remember in my head a specific point in time where I was like, okay... So ten thirty now. I'm just gonna get on it. Get on it. Uh, and it wasn't even me deliberately getting on it. It was just beforehand when people offered to buy me drinks. I was saying no, I'm all right. And then I just thought, sod it. It's my wedding day. Yeah, sure. So I was pretty, pretty um, lubricated. Uh, yeah, lubricated by the end. Um, well, you see, because I think the drunkest <laughs> that you've been was maybe at Elliot's wedding, mainly because I don't think I've seen anyone have such a bad hangover. Yeah, the so Elliot's was, Elliot's for me, Elliot's was a, I mean, it was a wonderful day, but it was a bad day after. Um, but you and I were very busy on that wedding day because we had jobs all day because you were the MC, I was chief usher slash director of guest experience. Yep. You know, we were busy people all yeah, day. Yeah, I'd like to be one of those people that blames not eating enough or their heat or not keeping hydrated, but... I think I just got plastered. Um, uh, actually, I, I blame, I will blame, I'll blame the little shots of gin we all got. Um, either way, I got pretty drunk and the next day wasn't fun. Uh, it was a pretty low moment, actually. Um, yeah. The people were filling their car up with petrol and Tesco when I was vomiting in the garage forecourt was, you know. A career high. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm sure it was almost worse for them than it was for me. So you've had the, the wonderful wedding. Everybody's had yep. a wonderful time. Did you then pop off on honeymoon? We uh, we had a, a... It was the bank holiday weekend, so the next day we had a barbecue for, for sort of friends and family, close friends and family. Um, so that was nice. Uh, the weather held for that. And then the next day we went off for a mini-moon in Dartmoor. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, so four, four days away, uh, which is very nice. Uh, some people had pre-warned us and said, don't try and fly off around the world straight afterwards because you're incredibly stressed still and you don't really appreciate the fact that you're in the Maldives or in Costa Rica or Bali or wherever it is you're going. Um, and that was a really sound piece of advice that we had. So we just got in the car and drove across the country to Dartmoor um, and just had a cottage and I have to convert a cottage on a farm. And it was, it was lovely, just for four days, just chilling out. Um, the next morning... I woke up at like six o'clock, wide awake, just worrying about things. And then, of course, you realise actually, it's done. It's done. Who cares? There's nothing to do. Let's just go back to sleep. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the, the mini moon was the mini moon was great. Uh, and then we we saved up for a mega moon, and we just got back from that last month. Uh, so, where did you go for that? And I, I can I just say I like that phrase, mega, mega moon. moon. I've not heard that uh, before. I like that. Uh, the yeah, the mega moon was Sri Lanka. So Beautiful. It, uh, the I think it's kind of the standard tourist trail of the, the tourist sites driving around, finishing on the beach for a few days. So it's a couple of weeks out there. It's very nice. And how has the first year of married life been then? It's obviously been wonderful. Um, that goes without saying. Um, no, it's been really good. Uh, Does it feel different? Does it feel different to just when you were dating? I am quite a practical person, and I assumed it would be no different at all. I was like, it makes no difference, you know, we're just you're the same people, you're the same flat, especially these days when you all live together beforehand and things. But 
surprisingly, against my expectation, it did feel a little bit different. Um, obviously, in reality, there was nothing different, but just it felt a bit different. It felt nicer being married. Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, I've very much enjoyed our chat, and it's lovely to hear the groom's experience, although it does sound as though you were maybe a little bit of a, a groomzilla uh, with all your spreadsheets, true. but yeah. that's good. But thank you very much, Pete. I hope you've enjoyed it too. No, thanks for inviting me around. It was great. Thank you very much. Take care. So there we have it. That's Pete's wedding. Now, the first thing I did do when Pete left is I googled what the three C's of choosing a diamond are, and apparently there's four C's. So there's cut, colour, clarity, and then also certification. So if you are thinking of buying a diamond, do a quick Google search and find out what you should be looking for. I really enjoyed like diving into what Pete's emotional experience was of proposing. And I think the dedication of going to the Owl Sanctuary is hilarious. And the fact that they kept having to cancel it because the, <laughs> the wind conditions weren't quite right. But I think it does show he knew that he needed to kind of up his game as he'd been dating for five years and that he really needed to prove the wait had been worth it. And it sounds like they had a really great wedding day. It sounds like they had a great team. But it also sounds like he utilised his uh, knowledge of spreadsheets very, very well. So I'm delighted that they had a perfect wedding and an, uh, looking very fresh after a honeymoon a year later, or a mega moon, as he liked to call it. But I hope you did enjoy listening to that. Uh, do follow us on the social media. It's at Wedding Guest Pod. If you want to drop me an email, it's Sarah at WeddingGuestExtraordinaire.com. Um, and do listen in next week. I'm Sarah Southern, your Wedding Guest Extraordinaire. Do take care. <laughs>